0: And let's turn together to to Matthew chapter 18, Uh, Matthew 18, uh, beginning of verse 10. We'll read to the end of the chapter, that's verse uh, 35, and that's on page 823 uh, and 824 of the Church Bibles, page 823, Matthew 18, uh, beginning of verse 10. So last week we we started on uh, this this section of Jesus' teaching, uh, a a section that's really talking about, uh, in in some ways it's the, the miniature Sermon on the Mount. But he's focusing more on uh, how, do we, how do we love one another within the, the context of, of the people of God, within the, the context of, of the Christian community, uh, those are, who are his people, uh, who are in Christ Jesus. And, and um, I, I think this is, was actually quite a, a profound bit of teaching in Jesus' day, because you'll remember it's a, it's a deeply religious community. And, and so he, he's, he's speaking to people who had grown up knowing the, the synagogues and the, the temple and, and, and uh, these, these modes and ways of worshiping uh, that had in many ways become uh, corrupted uh, by, by the, the, the teachers of his day and the authorities of his day. Uh, and so let's, let's listen now uh, with, with open ears and open hearts, open minds, to, to hear how, how Christ wants us. To care for and love one another in his church. Uh, This is God's word from Matthew 18, beginning in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven there are angels always, uh, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one? that went astray. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name there I am there am I among them when peter came up then peter came up and said to him lord how often will my brother sin against me and i forgive him as many as seven times jesus said to him i do not say to you seven times but seventy seven times therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment he meant to be made to the servant. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. but the word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, Jenny and I recently uh, watched an a, a oldish sitcom uh, called Rev, which is about a, a vicar uh, trying to revitalize a, a dying church in, in southeast London. And one of the, the running questions that, that's put to this, this vicar by, by the officials from the diocese who are there to really to give him a hard time, to put pressure on him to, to revive this struggling church the the thing they would ask him is is how are you going to be the church in this area, and the whole show is is really about just the 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 horrible ideas this guy comes up with and, and the the things that that uh, aren't aren't even really in, in scripture, uh, and this isn't this isn't an exclusively uh, Church of England problem, is it? You know, we we often ask ourselves how do we how do we show the and, and reflect the love of Christ in the church. And people from, from all different traditions, uh, including us, Reformed, Presbyterian, Evangelicals, will come up with all kinds of bonkers answers to that, that question, don't they? You know, we, often, we often miss the, the simplicity of the biblical answer. And what Jesus wants us to, to see this morning is, is actually the, 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 how the, the work of, of reflecting his love in a lost world Begins with, with the people in this room. It begins with, with how we love and care for one another. That's not to say we don't go out and evangelize. But actually, it, Jesus seems to suggest this morning that, that we have an even greater responsibility to one another. We don't need to come up with, with flashy ideas on how to, to reach out. We don't have to come up with, with uh, new ceremonies or, or different things. Different things that we do to, to try and show how we love each other. Jesus actually explains to us right here this morning how we're to love for love one another. And he, the, the problem that we have with this is, is it's, it's incredibly simple, but, but infinitely hard. Uh, it's, it's a difficult calling that the, the things that Jesus calls us to this morning, because He calls us to take one another's sin seriously. Jesus says, the, the work of the Church of Christ is to lovingly, and gently, and patiently, but firmly pursue and call sinners to repentance, especially the ones in our midst. That's you and I. In doing this, we're, we're reflecting actually the, the deep heart of God, the deep love of God for his people. And what we, what we believe about God's love for ourselves is going to directly impact on how, how we love one another Those are the lines that Jesus is drawing for us. Those are the dots he's connecting us for us this morning in Matthew's gospel. And There's three things for us to see today uh, about the love of God and how that's worked out practically in the life of the church. First of all, we see that the love of God is a seeking love. Second, we'll see the love of God is a confronting love. And third, we'll see that the love of God is a forgiving love. So first of all, the love of God is is a seeking love. Jesus introduces this little parable of of the lost sheep in in a striking way. He gives this this serious warning, doesn't he? See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, we have to step back to to the context of, of who Jesus is talking to. Last week, you'll remember that, that Jesus was, was talking to, to a group of uh, a crowd that had gathered around him, and one of his disciples had asked, "Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" And he, he brings a child before him, and he says, "Unless you become like this like this child, in other words, if you unless you become like like one of these these, these uh, someone who's who's dependent, who's weak and who's helpless, who needs who needs care and love and 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 uh, uh, teaching." In order to to grow up to be strong, unless you unless you see yourself before God as as one of the weak ones, then you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and Jesus is still talking within this context. You can imagine this this child still standing before him. And what does he what does he tell the disciples and, and those gathered about this little child? He says, He says, Don't don't despise this little one. And he's he's saying that. About anyone who follows him. About all of us. Do not despise the the weak in your midst. Why does he tell us that? You know, in Jesus' day, the the strong were the ones that were valued. You know, if you uh, if you were strong in your faith, then then you kept all the rules. You you paid the temple tax. You you brought the sacrifices for uh, for all the right right reasons and, and at all the right times. You you uh, observed all of the, the 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 ceremonies and all of the feasts and, and you did all of that uh, perfectly. And if you did all of that perfectly, then the, you know people liked you, the priests liked you, the scribes liked you, the, the important people of the day liked you. That's who was valued. Faith in, in the, the first century Israel was was a religion in the purest sense of the word it was something that you did for God in order to win his favor and so for for Jesus to stand there and say that that actually the ones that God loves the most are the weak and the struggling that was that was something that that, that was completely counter to to his culture it was like the the, the woman at the well in John's Gospel. You might remember her. She was a, a woman of Samaria, so a, a, a race of people that, that the Jews didn't like. And she was coming to, to this well in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, when usually you would go in the morning. And she, she did that because she was despised and rejected by her own people. And what did Jesus do with the woman at the well? Well, he valued her, didn't he? He spoke to her, and he gently and graciously and lovingly called her to see her sin and to turn to him. See, what we should be jumping off the page at us is that Jesus places a, a high value on the weak. And we need to take that to heart. You know, the temptation even for the, the church today is to is to value the strong. You know, we we want the 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 to, to promote the the intelligent, the attractive the people who can, who can lead, the people who can give, the people who can, can bring in more people like them. We want people who are straightforward, who are easy to get along with. We want people who don't complain or cause problems. But Jesus says, actually, actually, we're, we're to love the weak, the ones who feel their need of him, the ones who are difficult to love and who, who frequently wander. He tells a story of, of uh, of this, this sheep that goes wandering off, the lost sheep, a, 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 guy, a shepherd in a field with a hundred sheep. One, one walks away. What's he going to do? He's going he's to gonna leave the 99 and go after him. And it's, it's interesting in Luke's gospel, Jesus actually places this in the, the context of, of him coming to, to seek out his lost sheep. But this morning in, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew puts it in the context of, of the church of Christ, the people of God, and our calling to, to go after that one wandering sheep. To be, to, to be like Christ in that sense. To, to display the, the deep love he has for the wandering and the wayward. See, we, he, he tells this story to, to illustrate what his, his love for the weak looks like. And the interesting thing about it, the, the thing that, that Jesus wants us to see the thing that, that Jesus uh, commands us in Matthew's gospel is to, for the church to go after the person in our midst who's struggling. It's a picture of gospel community. The, the two contexts, the, the one in Luke and the one in Matthew, aren't mu- mutually exclusive, are they? Jesus wants us to, to hear his calling as a church. He says first that, the church, that, that in the church there's going to be people struggling. You know, there's going to be people who, who find it difficult to engage in the church. There's going to be people who find it hard to, to maybe understand the preaching and teaching at times. There's going to be people who, who have a, a deep internal struggle with, with the implications of the gospel in their lives. There's going to be f- people who, who find it hard to believe that, that Jesus loves them. And the truth is that, that most of us are going to experience some, some aspect of these struggles in our own lives, aren't we? Perhaps the church starts to feel stale and you find it hard to connect with others in the church. Jesus says that you may find yourself wandering, which is why we as the church will, will uh, are called to go out and go after the people in our midst who seem to be drifting away. So what are we, what are we meant to do? Jesus says these, these people questioning whether He loves them are, are in fact, some of his most valued and loved followers. Matthew Henry says, to observe the gradation of agreement. I'm not sure what that means, but I think he's saying, read the passage and notice that the angels of God are are their servants. The Son of God is their Savior. And now to complete the honor, God himself is their friend. Did you notice that? Did you notice how valued these people are? The, the angels in heaven serve them. The Son of God saves them. God the Father considers himself their friend. If, if these wanderers are, 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 more accurately, if we wanderers are so valued by God, how are we to treat them as a church? We're supposed to dismiss them as, well, they just didn't, they, they just didn't quite seem to have the spirit. No, we're, we're to seek them out. We're to show the care and gentleness and love that, that, that Christ has for them. What that means for us practically is, is actually we, we may have to sacrifice some of our own time to seek out the ones that we see struggling. It means that maybe we have to to give up an evening with with friends that we like to go after the the, the awkward person or the, the the person who who says upsetting things or or, or any any number of, of of people in the congregation that we that we see uh, having a hard time and in danger of of walking away from their faith and we do it because because Jesus died for them just as Jesus died for us Jesus wants us to see that that he, he places the same value on each of us. If we belong to him, then when we, then when we wander, Christ calls his people to, to come for us. You see how that works? When we see how Christ values us, we in we turn, we turn value others in that way. And we look at the, the people in this room differently than other relationships that we have. There's a weightier obligation on us to care for one another as Christ cares for us, and we see that increased as we we come into our second point this evening. The second part of that, that love, is to to see what we're to do when the wandering one falls into sin. And this is where we, this is what we see in in this second point. The love of God is a is a confronting love, and the the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus is is saying to us, you know, go after the weaker brother before he falls into a pit, before, he, he, before the, the emergency becomes a crisis. Now, now, Jesus is talking about crisis mode. He's talking about what to do when they aren't coming back, when they enter into a, a harmful or, or sinful lifestyle. I think this is a good point, point for us to, to stop and, and say that um, at Grace Church, we, we value uh, formal church membership. I think most of you know that. And the reason for that is because we, we believe it's, it's right that we, we take responsibility for one another. That we, we, it, it, it's natural to, to mark out you know, which church we belong to, what family of God's people we, particular uh, family of God's people we belong to, in order for, uh, to, to make sort of a public statement of, of who, who's responsible for one another. As a congregation, we're meant to take this responsibility seriously. And as elders, uh, as your minister and and other elders, we we take this responsibility to you seriously. Part of that responsibility means pursuing the lost sheep, as we see here. Uh, Practicing discipline uh, is the second way that we do this. This is something that we take very seriously, uh, this idea of discipline that Jesus lays out for us. At least that's what we call it. He doesn't use that word, but... Uh, You you may spend your whole life at at Grace Church Hammersmith and you may never hear about a case of discipline. And that's actually good because in some ways it means we're doing it right. Jesus actually uh, encourages us here, calls us here to to respect the honor of of the person who's caught in sin. But a central question that this passage brings up is, is, when is it right for us to be judgmental as a church or as, as church members. And notice that, that Jesus gives us a very narrow instance where we can be judgmental or confrontational. He says, if if a brother or sister sins against you, that's very narrow, isn't it? Notice that, that churches can can sometimes spend a lot of time judging those uh, outside of the church, and, and there's uh, uh, appropriate ways of 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 you know, stating, you know, in, in the proclamation of the Word, we can, we can state certain things. But, but Jesus doesn't hold those outside of the church to the same standard that He holds those within the church, does He? He calls us within the church to confront the sin in our own midst. And we're meant to do that with, with gentleness and always with a view towards reconciliation before we get to the details, I think it's also important that we, we point out Matthew's view of sin and, and, and how he understands sin. You know, we, can, we can often be tempted to, to simply say things like, well, we're all sinful or that all of our motives are sinful. And that's very true. We believe everything, everything we do has, has some element of sinfulness to it. You know, we can't live a whole, a whole week, much less a whole day, or even a whole hour, I would suggest, about myself. Without, without sinning. That's why we, we encourage one another to, to confess our sins. We confess our sins together each week as part of our worship. At the same time, we, we see here that, that Matthew and Jesus believe that we can, we can name our sins. That we can't just say simply, well, everything I do is, is a bit sinful or, or every, every I can't, you know, everything, I all of our motivations are sinful. That's That's true. But Jesus calls us actually to, to, to name our sins. That there are sinful acts that are worth confronting. Yes, we're all, all sinners all the time, true. But if we're going to repent of our sin, then we can't simply dismiss it in a general sense. We need to be prepared to name our specific sins before the Lord. And what Jesus says we should do is, is confront the sins of our brothers and our sisters when they scandalize us or risk scandalizing the church. And I think we need to notice that this is not a low bar. This is not a low bar. There's, there's, there's many times when we're sinned against that we should actually let love cover those sins. But there's many things that are, are said in passing, are done unintentionally, that we just need to let go of, aren't there? But there's also times when we should actually confront these things. And this takes wisdom. We, we confront when we have been so deeply hurt by, by the sin of another that we can't move on in fellowship with them without, without some form of reconciliation. Or when we see a person who's so in danger of, of doing serious spiritual harm to themselves through their sin that, that we can't help, it would be unloving of us as their brother and sister not to, to step in and, and speak to them. But notice the, the gentleness and the patience that Matthew calls us to. The honor of the confronted person is, is scrupulously guarded. Did you notice that? That they're treated like, like a real human being, like a real person. Jesus gives us an example of what it, what it looks like to, to properly presume innocence in a person. So let's let's look at how Jesus calls us to, to confront sin. He says, you're, you're to go to your brother who has sinned against you first. You know, full stop. Go to them. Speak to them. Don't call your, your other friend and say, this person said X to me. Isn't, isn't that awful? I wonder if I should go speak to them. We're not even meant to say, this, this person did X to me. Should I, should I talk to them about that? And Jesus says, the answer is yes, you should. Absolutely. You should, you should talk to them about that. And he doesn't say you should talk to them about that if you're if you're a confrontational person, does he? He doesn't say it's okay for you to hold a grudge if you're if you're scared to confront someone. He says you should go humbly and speak to them if, if they've harmed you through their sin, or if you see them harming themselves. I think we need to, to counterbalance that with if you're if you're a confrontational person, you should also be. Be willing to, to stop and, and have a think and, and decide whether it, this is something that you should, you should let go. I'm hesitant as your minister to, to say, don't come and talk to me about it. Jesus, Jesus really says, you know, don't come and talk to your minister about it. Go to them first. But, but if you come to me, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to counsel you to go to them. I'm happy to pray with you and encourage you. But this does not require a level of wisdom, doesn't it? Uh, there's a there's a level of wisdom here, I think, uh, that that we need to balance a bit. You know, certainly, you you should go and confront a person that you see who who has sinned against you. But you also need to to take into account uh, certain things. There's some places where you shouldn't go to a person alone, and, and these are things like uh, I, I don't think Jesus has in view here uh, situations of of Real serious violence, or even sexual abuse, you should actually come to to someone else. Come to me, and we'll report that to the appropriate authorities. I don't I don't think Jesus is calling you to to sacrifice your safety or, or put yourself in, in a dangerous situation because of this. The second the second step he gives us though is if you know our our hope is that we go and and speak to a brother or sister and. and you know, we, we, we we're reconciled in that. That's, that's easy. That's the, the best. The second step is if they won't hear you is, is to bring along another person from the church. You know, again, not everyone, but, but one or two people. And they go with you. And, and, and the reason for this, again, is, is the preservation of the honor of the person that, that you're confronting. You know, perhaps you have the situation all wrong. Perhaps you're completely misreading it. And the others that, that you take with you help you to, to see that. But if you have it right and the person still won't listen to them, then Jesus says to, to next bring it to, to the whole church. And in our church, again, we, we have elders to, to come alongside you throughout this. But we're here particularly for uh, this point where, where two or three cannot convince a sinful brother to repent. The others are called by God to, to care for and, and to, to govern the church of Christ. And so we're, we're there to, to do the binding and loosing that Jesus talks about here. And we'll get into more detail of that in a, in a moment. But sadly, there's times when we, when we have to bind sinners to the judgment of God. And, 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 and as Jesus alludes to here, excommunicate them from God's people. That's what, that's what he means by, let them be a, a Gentile or a tax collector to you. He's saying in the worst case, treat them like outsiders. That's quite a serious thing, isn't it? That's something we we don't take lightly. We don't want to take this lightly because we believe that that Jesus has called us as his church to to warn of the bond of judgment God places on the unrepentant, as well as the the freedom of, of, of being loosed from our sin by the grace of Christ. See, we don't, we don't bind and loose based on, based on our own personal feelings or judgments. We're, we're bound by the Word of God. And as the Church of Christ, we're called to, to, to speak the truth of, of when we see someone in sin, reminding them and telling them and declaring them bound under the, the judgment of God. But where there's, there's repentance and there's reconciliation, we're called to, to loose them. That's, that's the beauty of discipline. That's the best. When, when, when someone uh, who's been in sin comes and, and, and you're able to see them, you're, you're, you're free because of the, the work of Christ and the blood of Christ shed for you. This is why Dale, Dale Bruner comes to the conclusion that a dis- disciplining church will prove more loving in the long run than a church that advertises God's love, but then shows no great interest in whether this love is practiced by her members. See, if we wanna be, be a proper loving church of Christ, Jesus says that we, we have to take sin seriously, that we can't simply talk about, uh, talk about his love without, without also being willing to, to talk about his judgment and calling those who, who are wandering and who who stumble into the pits of sin to, to come back to Christ because he is gracious and loving. His steadfast love endures forever. Now lastly this morning, Jesus expounds on this idea uh, of binding and loosing uh, and what it means. He, he highlights and, and underlines it uh, with this this really uh, wonderful uh, Parable that he tells. And that's what we see in our third point. The love of God is a forgiving love. How are we to to respond to a repentant brother or sister if they've wronged us? Jesus says that we're we're meant to forgive them. And Peter comes to Jesus and and he asks a really good question. It's a brilliant question, actually. He's asking the question that that we all want to know the answer to. He says that Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As, as many as seven times? And we, I think we need to be gentle with Peter here because you know, we, we hear Jesus' response and in the, the context of that response, we think Peter's wrong again. Peter's an idiot. But if you stop and think about yourself, what if, what if someone came to you and said, how often should I forgive a person? Should I forgive him seven times? What would you say to him? You'd say, well, grow a spine, man. You, you don't want to be a doormat, you don't want someone taking advantage of you all the time. If any of us were were asked how often should someone forgive someone we 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 would say something like, like you know in America we have the saying from from baseball, three strikes you're out you know I would say maybe three times if I'm honest. you know some of you more generous types would say four possibly five times you know the the Brits in our midst would would maybe put up with four or five times kind of going, oh, all right, that's all right, mate, no worries. And, and then we just avoid the person, wouldn't we? Not speak to them again. See, what Peter's saying here is he's acknowledging, okay, forgiveness needs to be central to the Christian community. It must be big, and seven feels really big. But shouldn't there be limits to it? Where, where are the limits? Peter suggests seven times, which, which is quite a lot. But Jesus counters with a massive number, a number that none of us could achieve in in ourselves, a number that none of us would ever agree to. He says 77 times. And what Jesus is saying is that, that your willingness to forgive is directly correlated to how much you believe you've been forgiven, and how much that has defined your own heart and life. In other words, the question we're to, to be asking ourselves is how big is the gospel in our lives? How big, how deep is, is God's grace for us? And he gives this parable to help us understand what this looks like. He says if if you want to understand what it, what it means to be part of his kingdom, if you want to understand the, the cost of entering the kingdom of heaven, then, then imagine a king who's owed a debt. It's a massive debt, and, and because he's king, he, he must settle all of his debts. Because as a, as a king, the, the, the debt's not only his, it's, it's uh, owed to his kingdom. And so a servant comes who, who has this as, absolutely astronomical debt. It's actually cartoonish in the amount, this, this 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents was a, the debt of a, a decent sized town, it wasn't the debt of an individual. So naturally, the servant has absolutely no way of paying it. So the, the king, king says, well, look, I'm, I'm obligated as the king to, to toss you and your family into prison. That's, that's what's considered just in the kingdom. If you can't pay your debts, you, you get thrown into this debtor's prison. But the servant begs for mercy, doesn't he? He, he falls down and, and he he's, appears repentant. And the king says, the king shows him mercy. The king uh, forgives this this massive debt. But then the the servant goes out, and what's what's he do? He he sees another servant, uh, someone that he had loaned money to, a uh, hundred denarii, which which is much 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 smaller than than what this first servant had owed, but still quite a quite a sum. It would have been about two or three months worth of of salary in that day. And you would think. You know, this guy who's just just had the, the debt of a small town forgiven him would be able to, to forgive this, this little debt, not insignificant, but little by comparison. What's the servant do? Well, he has that guy tossed into the, the debtor's prison. And what does it say about the gospel and the life of that, that first servant? says that the generous grace of the the king had had absolutely no impact in his life. He couldn't forgive as he had been forgiven, which is what what we pray for in the Lord's prayer, isn't it? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Jesus warns us in verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You notice the... How, how the other servants were scandalized by, by the actions of this, this unforgiving servant. You see how this was, was, was poisonous to them, that they couldn't help but but tell it to the king. That's what Jesus is calling to us too, when we bind and loose as the people of God. It's to, to call the wicked servants to account before the Lord and remind them that, that unless they forgive their brother, unless they re, re, are truly repentant of their sin, then they're, they're bound to the judgment of God. But if, if we are repentant before the Lord, then, then we are loosed of the, the deepest debt. What, what Jesus wants us to see is that, that the, the debts you owe are, are, are astronomically bigger than you could ever imagine. And the grace and mercy of God is so much bigger even than that. And that when we, when we see just how astronomically massive our debt before God is, that that has been forgiven, that has loosed us from His judgment. By comparison, the, the, the heavy things, the weighty hurts, even the, the hardest of hurts that a, a fellow believer commits against us We should be able to find in the the depth of our hearts and the the, uh, surplus of God's grace in us the ability and willingness to forgive them. This is where I think the gospel risks being really offensive to us. I think it's perhaps even more offensive than than the idea of, of church discipline. We don't like the idea of church discipline. We don't like the idea of of people being able to to tell us we're wrong. But what's really offensive to us is the idea that I I have to forgive someone for the wrongs they've done me when they've wounded me so badly, when the wound, the, the deep wounds they've caused still feel so tender. How are we meant to forgive them? I think we need to once again notice and remind ourselves of the context of the forgiveness Jesus calls us to. He doesn't doesn't call us to some cheap forgiveness where we just go, ah, they're they're forgiven, no. He, He calls us to forgive when there's proper repentance. When someone asks us to forgive them, when someone asks us for mercy that they don't deserve. See, repentance is actually critical to our forgiveness. We can't properly forgive if someone does not properly repent. And I know some of you here this morning, you've you faced harrowing hardships. You've faced real abuse. And you're wondering, do I need to forgive my abuser? And that's a hard one. And I can't, I can't lay out all the, the nuance in the sermon for every situation. But, but broadly speaking, Jesus says, if they're, if they're a brother or sister in Christ and they truly repent, and the answer is Yes. And that's, that's hard for us to hear. I think we need to remember that, that he, he doesn't send us out to that alone. But there's, there's the context of, of the community of God's people. But what Jesus tells us is, is that, that forgiveness looks, what, what forgiveness looks like will, will vary. And what repentance looks like needs to be very clear. But the point that Jesus wants us to see is that as deep as our wounds at the sins of others go, They cannot go deeper than our own debt before Him. And if His forgiveness is sufficient for us, then it should be sufficient for us to forgive our brothers and sisters who harm us. See, these are difficult things. We think love is supposed to feel good and easy, but Jesus says that transformative love, His love, is fierce. And it's hard for us as, as humans to understand it. His love is fierce even while he's gentle and gracious. The love of God for us, the real love of the Father is a love that is, is seeking and confronting and forgiving. And our love for one another has to reflect that. That is the church of of Christ, everything we do the, the, and how we love one another has to reflect the, the deep truths of the gospel that Christ has brought to bear on our lives. That Jesus has paid the, the deep debt that, that we could never, ever pay. And therefore we love one another so much deeper than, the, than common human love. We love because Christ first and fully and rightly loved us, let us pray.